It's my great joy to invite you to open your copy of God's perfect and precious word this morning to Exodus chapter 37. We're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 37 down to the end of Exodus 39. Actually, we're going to focus on 39. One of the things as you're working through Exodus that uh, you see is that Exodus 25 through 31 is instructions about the tabernacle and how it one day is to be built. And this section, beginning in verses 37 through 40 here, is the construction of the tabernacle. And what happens is that almost verbatim, you have the repetition of the earlier instructions in the actual doing of it. For instance, uh, 37, 1 through 9 is a fulfillment of 25, 10 through 20. 37, 10 through 16 is a fulfillment of 25, 23 through 29. Uh, 37, 17 through 24 is a fulfillment of 25, 31 through 39. So what I want us to do this morning is not rework all those dynamics related to the tabernacle and explain them again. You can go back and listen to those if you would like. But what I want to do is to show you a repeated theme that is embedded in this account and for us to think about why it's there for them and by extension, why God had it inscripturated for us this very morning. We're going to begin by reading simply the last two verses of Exodus 39, verses 42 and 43, and I'll invite you to stand in reverence for the reading of God's perfect and precious Word. May God honor the reading of His Word this morning. Exodus chapter 39, beginning in verse 42. Before I say that, um, let me say that Nolan had a practice that you guys probably want me to take up. Uh, On his notes of what he was sharing, with each paragraph thought, there was big capital letters, slow down, paragraph, slow down, paragraph, slow down. And uh, I have heard from some of you, you would like me at times to slow down. I wouldn't count on it. Exodus 39, beginning in verse 42. According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses... So the people of Israel had done all the work, and Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it. As the Lord had commanded, so they had done it. Then Moses blessed them. Let's pray. O Lord, teach us this morning. We gather here in Your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We gather here through the blood of Christ. We gather here because You have called us to come together, to assemble together, and to remember. And not only to remember, but to look ahead with hope. Lord, help us accomplish those realities today as we look in Your perfect and precious Word. May it be with a sense of awe that you have indeed spoken. May we hear and do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, words and speech are something that are often taken for granted. 
We, we all, when it comes right down to it, know how important it is for us to have people to speak to us and for us to speak to other people. We don't want to be completely isolated and cut off. It's one of the reasons why it is, it is so damaging to us to be ignored and to have someone ignore the things that we say. Now, it's important for us to remember just how important words actually are. Because it's common today to embrace the idea, you know, words, they're overdone, but images, images, that's what's really powerful. Images grip the soul, not words. And yet, we don't know what any image means apart from words. You walk into a scene and somebody's lying on the ground and they've hit their head or something has hit their head and they're bleeding and and you come in and you ask yourself this is an evocative image with a person on the ground with something has happened to their head they're bleeding and you ask yourself what happened well you have an evocative image but you have no idea what happened there are probably hundreds of explanations on what might have happened person might have hit their head and fallen the person might have been attacked. The person might have self-inflicted something to them. You just don't know. So how do you find out? You talk to people. You find out what words this person said before they were found in this condition. You find out if anybody saw so they can tell you what they knew. How was the person's condition coming into the place before they were found? You talk. Words ultimately will build a witness about what has happened so you will be able to say this was an accident or this was an attack or this was something else. You see, the image does not stand over words and explain them. Words always stand over images. See, the world moves according to the power of the Word. Words are vital. They are important. And we would be reminded this morning that the most central fact of how the world moves is through the power of the Word. In fact, the fact that God has spoken. God has spoken. God who is under no obligation to reveal Himself to us has indeed done so. Oh yes, in the created order where though some try to suppress the knowledge of the truth, it is obvious that there is a God, but beyond that, God has spoken His special Word, His special revelation. We have the very words of God. And those words are the test that stand over all the other words in the world, but they are also the words that explain every image. Why is it when I say Christ crucified, you are so moved if you are a believer? Was it because of crucifixion? All kinds of people have been crucified. It's because the words of God tell us of this one who is to come, who indeed was the promised Messiah What's a Messiah? The Scripture tells us. He is a King that comes to deliver His people. 
And nobody expected him to be crucified, and yet there he is. And then when we look back at the word on the other side of it, we see all of these messages that maybe at one time were missed, that this indeed was told that it was going to happen. Do you see? You understand, and it matters to you, because that image is explained by the words of God. God has spoken. Just think about that this morning. God created the world by the word of His power. Creation is by the word of God. He speaks it into existence. Spiritual warfare centers on the battle of words. You see, the enemy comes in the garden and the enemy's weapon is words. Has God really said The enemy implies God is holding out on the people of God. So the issue with the image bearers in the garden, Adam and Eve, is whose words will they listen to? And the fall is a result of them choosing an image over the words of God. God had said, you can have all of this except this. And they look at that image and they think, I am being held out on, and they partake of what God said not to partake of. And you have the fall into sin. And after the fall, God provides His gospel word. God gives a promise. God speaks. God says that there will be a seed born of woman who will come crush the head of the serpent. God's words. He gives a word of promise. And He keeps that word of promise through people who reiterate it, who explain it, who talk about how this line in history is leading to this promised one who will defeat the enemy of God. We see in Noah and Abraham and David and the prophets, the issue is the one who speaks the Word of God and the one who contradicts, calls the words of God false. It's always a battle of which words we will believe. It's always a battle on us, of us choosing which words that we are going to believe to explain all that we see around us, including ourselves. Jesus comes and the Bible goes out of its way to say He is the living Word. He is the Word made flesh who is dwelling among us. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. And so what does the church gather to do? It gathers to preach the Word, to proclaim the Scripture in season and out. We turn to the end of our Bibles. We see in Revelation 12, At the consummation of all things, there will be people there who have conquered Him, meaning the evil one, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. The word of their testimony that testifies to the blood of the Lamb. Do you see this? This is all about the words of God. And it seems it's so hard for us to believe that the words of God are so powerful And it's so hard for us to tether ourselves from the idea, knowing images are more powerful, that Jesus makes a, a shocking assertion. In Luke chapter 16, verse 31, Jesus says this, He said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets... Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Jesus says that it's not the resurrection as an event itself 
that is self-explanatory. It is Moses and the prophets who told of the one to come, so we know the resurrection is the resurrection of the Messiah. No one believes merely because of image. Believe because of the words of God. We spent now 24 weeks studying the words of Moses. And some would say, 24 weeks in Exodus, why don't you get to the Gospel? If you've been around here very long, Exodus is the story of the Gospel. The whole Bible is about Jesus, the One who rose from the dead. The only way we rightly understand Exodus is by Jesus. You say, oh, if I could just have this experience, if I could just see this, oh, if I could see a resurrection, then I would believe. And Jesus says, if you do not believe Moses and the prophets, neither will you believe if someone rises from the dead. The experience that we all need to be transformative in our life is the experience of hearing God in His Word. God has spoken. What's Exodus about? It's really simple. Exodus is about God's redemption. God redeems a people that only He could redeem. And He commits Himself to give His presence, God's presence, to this people that God has redeemed. And in so doing, as those people follow Him, those people live understanding something about and displaying God's glory. God's redemption, God's presence, God's glory. Now, there's a fourth thing that Exodus is about, and that's this, that God's redemption, God's presence, and God's glory produces a distinct people. A people who don't live like everyone else around them in the world who does not have God's redemption, God's presence, and know God's glory. A people that are set apart to God, who are devoted to God, who didn't get there by keeping a set of rules, but because of what He has done to save them, to give them His presence, and to show them in some measure His glory, they cannot live the same. Well, how do they learn this? How do they learn about God's redemption, God's presence, and God's glory? You say, well, I mean, the sacrificial system and the tabernacle. (laughs) How do they know what those things mean? God has spoken. How does the book of Exodus work? Well, there's a guy named Moses who's delivered at the beginning, and it's obvious that God has raised him up for a special purpose, and all of a sudden he's standing by a bush, and it's burning but not being consumed, but that's not what is really unbelievable. That just calls attention to the fact that God is speaking from the bush. God speaks to Moses. God raises Moses up. God tells him what he is to do. And like many people, he tries to reject that, but he ends up doing what God called him to do. And the next major scene after God's deliverance of this people is Moses now uses his words to say what God said would happen. That is, see the salvation of the Lord. And then they use their words to sing of His glorious grace. Then he summons them to a mountain. And what does he give them? He gives them His words. 
We call it the Ten Commandments. But he also gives them the instructions about the tabernacle. And this tabernacle, which is a visual gospel. Uh, We saw when we looked at it, all these dynamics and and working into the the most holy place where there's the Ark of the Covenant and the the sacrificial place. and, and, And this is a visual of the gospel. God with us. God's presence among His people. And then the the high priest, and he wears this get up. And a lot of the markings and the colors and all of the, the, the stuff that he wears are things that are in the holy place and the most holy place. So he is a walking gospel. He walks around and people think about what these things mean. And they think about God's redemption, God's presence and God's glory. But guess what? Right in the middle of the story. The people keep complaining. They keep questioning and ultimately they're like, yeah, 40 days. It's time to move on and find a new God. And so they make a golden calf, and they do it because a calf was a common image in the uh, culture around them for deity, and they need something to follow. They at least know that they, they need some God to lead the way, some mediator to lead the way. And yet, when Moses comes down the mountain, God tells him what's going on, and, and God's anger burns upon this rebellion and disobedience of a, a people that he has redeemed. And, and yet, what does Moses do? He does what God called him to do, and he functions as the mediator, and he prays for mercy upon the people, and God grants it and renews the covenant. And so then they start the process of uh, building the tabernacle. What is all of this? How do they know what all of this means? God tells them. God has spoken. This is the battleground we all live in. What words are going to explain why we exist and what we are to do and why all of this matters? Well, how do I, why am I talking about this, though, in the text? Well, look at Exodus 39. Look at verse 1 at the very end. They did this, this making from blue and purple and scarlet yarns and finely woven garments. They did this at the end of verse 1, as the Lord had commanded Moses, according to the words of God that came to the people through the mediator Moses. Verse 5, the end, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 7 at the end, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 21 at the end, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 26 at the end, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 29 at the end, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 31 at the end, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 32 at the beginning, a little bit different language here. The people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 42, the first part, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses, verse 43 in the middle, as the Lord had commanded, so they had done it. (laughs) All of this is about the Word of God. This is what the Lord had commanded. This is what the Lord had spoken. Will they do it? Will they trust the God who has spoken? Will they trust the God who has committed and has redeemed them and committed His presence to them and allowed the covenant to be renewed? And, and do they understand the glory of this God enough 
that they will do what He says. You see, that's always the issue with glory. If you believe something is glorious, then you modify what you're doing according to it. Though the people had started listening to the voices around them at one time, in this instance, they're doing all that the Lord had commanded. And by the way, that phrase shows up eight more times in chapter 40. I I think maybe that's sort of like a flashing light for us to pause and say, you must take the words of God with utmost seriousness. God has spoken. God who is under no obligation to reveal Himself has spoken. God has given you His words. Now this amazing reality that God has spoken points to our responsibility to do two things. And the first is this, hear the Word. I I walked you through the reason why Exodus is in the Bible. It's God speaking. And God is calling the people to listen to His words and to act upon them. But God is speaking and God's words tell us about who He is, what He has done, but also beyond that, God speaks so that we will understand something about His character and He will believe what He, we will believe what He says about what He will do. There's always a future aspect. Hearing God's Word is an incredible privilege. Don't take it for granted. Paul says all Scripture is breathed out by God. That is to attempt to tag the Scripture with as much authority as being from God as if we felt the breath of someone speaking to us in our own very presence. Hearing God's Word is a privilege. You know, we understand that. We understand that hearing from people, people we look up to, when they speak to us, it's like, whoa. When I was a little kid, uh, Bear Bryant was somebody I was like, whoa. And one time there was a book signing, and I stood in line like 30 minutes, and my dad told him my name. He signed a book, and he said, here you go, David. Bear Bryant said my name. I mean, that must mean I'm going to play for Alabama. No, that didn't work out. But just, that it mattered. Right? You, know, you didn't think about me for 30 more seconds. But then you get married and you love somebody and you are away from them. And what do you want to do? You want to hear their voice. Preferably in their presence. But if you're not in their presence, at least hear their voice. One of the things I love is to hear my children speak to me. We understand this. The, the, the hearing the Word and hearing the Word affects us and shapes us. Nobody likes to be ignored. Consider how the Scripture positions hearing the Word. Deuteronomy 32.47 For it is no empty word for you, but your very 
life. The words of God it's speaking of. It's not an empty word. It is your life. Eternity hangs in the balance with one's response to the words of God. Whether you are 8 years old or 98 years old or any other age, eternity hangs in the balance based on the words of God. It is no empty word. None, Isaiah says, of the words of God will return void. All will ultimately accomplish their purpose. Deuteronomy 8.3 is a, is a whole chapter that's about remember the Lord. And it's in this same time frame that we're, we're looking at. When you get into the promised land, remember the Lord. And he talks about the ways they were tempted. Deuteronomy 8.3 says this, And he humbled you, and he let you hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And guess what? Just as a people who had been tempted were reminded that when they get to the point where they need to go, they need to remember that they live by the words of God. Jesus facing temptation, Matthew 4, 4 says, But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, the Apostle Paul talks about the, 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 the Scripture that was preached among the people at the church of Thessalonica. And he is praising them for something that he considered a good thing. Listen to what he says. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the Word of God which you heard from us, meaning in our preaching, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Paul says, we came and preached among you, and you received it not as the word of man, but as the word of God. That's what evangelicals have always believed about preaching that God owns preaching in as much as it's true and faithful to the text as His voice to the people. And so the call to obey is not the call to obey a man, but the call to obey is to obey God. It's to, to, to turn to Christ, to look to Christ, to trust Christ, to hear His voice. God has uniquely ordained preaching for this end. We, we see this pattern in the Bible, and we don't have long enough today to, to work it all out, but this pattern in the Bible that, that's doing everything it can to tell you that the Scripture is the Word of God, and that what the Scripture says, God says. It's doing everything it can to communicate that to us. Galatians 3.6 The Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, preach the gospel to Abraham, and here's the quote, in you all nations will be blessed. The Scriptures foreseeing, that was Yahweh who said that. That was the I Am. That's the Lord who said that. The Scriptures, there wasn't even something that they referred to as the Scriptures at that time. But the Scriptures and God saying something are considered the same thing. Acts thirteen thirty four. The quotation there is of David in Isaiah 53. And when they quote David from Isaiah 55 verse 3, here's the way the quotation starts. God said. And then it quotes it. 
what the Scripture says, God says. It is the Word of God. God has spoken. Now, you know, the people at this time suffered from not having much access to the Word of God. And we suffer from the exact opposite. But you know what? Both of us have the same problem. Listening to competing voices. And both try to excuse their problem. I mean, these people say, I don't have a lot of access to the Word of God. So you say, well, yeah, so when you get that Word, you're hanging on it and you're not letting it go, right? Well, no, there's all these other voices. Because I don't have much access, it's so easy for me to listen to other voices. And we are people who have access to the Word of God like nobody in the history of the world has ever had. But we have access also to more voices than anybody in the history of the world has ever had. We say, oh, it's just so confusing out there. Yeah, if you do not commit yourself to what God has said. You don't have the ability to navigate this crazy world that we're in today where everybody is saying everything about everything and everybody has an international global forum. If they can fire up a computer. You do know that there are a lot of people who don't tell the truth, right? And there are a lot of people who aren't worth listening to. I used to always tell my sons... uh, Don't be pontificating on these social media. Who cares what an 18-year-old has to say? Earn your seat at the table. Excuses don't matter. The issue is always the same. Whose voice will you listen to? God has spoken. Hear the Word. You know, hearing the Word should constantly produce wide-eyed wonder. I'm blessed. I live in a house with... With Judy, and Judy's always like, I read this on Bible yesterday. I've been thinking about this wrong for 40 years. Wow. Right? She's always talking about how she's changing directions based on the scripture. That, that's a blessing to have someone like that around. You see the wide eyed wonder. We don't grow tired of this. I, I don't ever have this book figured out because I don't have this God figured out. I'm just trying to be the pilgrim that's marching on the way to the celestial kingdom, marching to the new heavens and new earth. When we open our Bibles, our goal should be to hear from God. Not to co-opt God for an argument that we're trying to make with somebody else. We have a generation of Bible quoters who are not Bible readers. Who have memorized some passages and some arguments over all their pet issues, but don't really read the Bible. And if you ask them what the biblical storyline, how it fits together, you're not going to get much. Because they use the Bible rather than come to hear from God. There's a difference between being a Bible reader and a Bible quoter. Now, a Bible reader may quote portions of the Bible, and then as soon as you sort of say, well, what does that mean in the larger? Oh, here's what it means. A Bible quoter doesn't have anything to say after the quote if they're not a Bible reader. Read the Word. 
Read the Word aloud. Listen to the Word. Other people reading the Word. I've got Johnny Cash reading the New Testament. It just sounds cool. It's the New Testament. Whatever. I've got an app with a bunch of voices. I love a New Zealand accent. Listen to the Word. Read the Word. Read the Word aloud. Meditate on the Word. Memorize the Word. Sing the Word. Draw the Word. Hear the Word. God has spoken. Hear the Word. And finally, do the Word. Exodus 39-32 Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished, and the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Now skip down to verses 42 and 43. According to all the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work, and Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it. As the Lord had commanded, so they had done it. You don't really know something until you do it. You don't really trust something until you do it. Something that you keep at a level of just simply an idea that you don't, what old writers would call, lean into, then you don't really know it. And you don't really trust it. It's when you lean into it that you begin to know it and trust it. I can tell you all kinds of things that stay at the level of an idea, an information, something that bounces around in your head. But until you act on it, until you do it, until you walk it out, you don't really know it and you don't really trust it. And that's exactly what James says in James chapter 1. And he says, if you don't do it, then you're an easy target to be self-deceived. James 1, 22-25, But be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what, 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 what he was like. But the one who looks into, listen to what it's called the Scripture here, the perfect law, the law of liberty, of freedom, and perseveres, does it, walks it out. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Self-deception. There's all kinds of pontificators that are not doers. And they are easy marks to be self-deceived. One other thing, and it's beautiful. When we look in the text, we, we, we see that, that we are to be doers of the Word no matter the situation. No matter, even if it doesn't seem like it makes sense, even if it seems like it's headed somewhere bad. Like Abraham, Abraham, leave your homeland to go where? I don't, I'll tell you later. That's usually not a good plan. Unless it's God who's doing the speaking. So how is it that we commit to be doers? Let me show you something. At the beginning of the book of Exodus, how does it start out? Pharaoh looks around and he says, 
There's so many of these people. They are multiplying. Let's, let's put a stop to this. And whatever he does, they keep multiplying. What does that remind you of? The promise of God in Genesis at the beginning of creation that his people are to be fruitful and multiply. There are all these lines that are being drawn from Exodus to the creation account throughout the telling of this story. That's one of them, the way it begins. But there's all kinds of them. Moses is summoned into the cloud on the seventh day after spending six days at the mountain to receive the instruction from God. And there is this creation Sabbath pattern that keeps happening. In When God tells him about the tabernacle, he gives him six uh, uh, explanations, six units, and he ends with the Sabbath. When they start the construction, he starts with the Sabbath, and then they begin the units of constructing. And then when they get to the end, Moses says he saw and he blessed. And we cannot help but to remember God saw and it was good. And then God finished the work and He rested, which is what they're being called to do here in the context of the tabernacle. And by the way, there's one other thing. There's actually a lot more things, but one other thing I'll point out. The Spirit of God is hovering in the creation narrative. And the Spirit of God spoken of as the the, 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 the one who comes and creates is not spoken of in the Bible again from the creation account until here when the Spirit fills this Spirit-filled contractor to do this work. The Spirit is there for this work as the people build and build toward ultimately Sabbath. This is a recreation. This is God keeping His promise after the fall. That's what God is doing. There will be a new heavens and a new earth with a new people. That's the promise. And so God gives us in time and space as people are called out to be totally distinct. A new people that God is building up. A new creation in the midst of a fallen world on the way to the ultimate consummation of the creation. The new heavens and the new earth. You see, this is why John 1 starts with the same language of Genesis, and yet the message of John 1 is that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning was the Word, it says at the start of John 1. The start of the Bible says, in the beginning, God's creative work. God is at work in the world making a people who are rightly described, the apostles, Paul says, in Christ as a new creation. This is a part of the sequence of that story of people that are distinct, who are a new creation in Christ. Christ Himself who has come and brought His kingdom and birthed a new creation and one day will take His people to a new heavens and new earth. And what is the story of His doing that? God's redemption. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, cross and resurrection and His sure return. God's presence. God with us. Emmanuel and the indwelling of the Spirit of God and God's glory, which one day will be seen outside of the very presence of sin. And until then, we are called to be a distinct people who fixate our lives on this One who has delivered us And the pattern by which we become a distinct people is that we hear 
the Word of God. And we do the Word of God. And we do that until He comes. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your perfect and precious word. I thank you for the opportunity to preach it this morning. And I pray for your people to respond in a way that brings honor and glory to your name. Lord, help us to be a people this very morning who embody the truth of this message by hearing your word and by doing your word. Lord, we pray that you would make it so in Christ's name. Amen.